Hey friends, uh, I am happy to carry on uh, what I think is an old Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church practice this morning, uh, following one of Pastor Burt's traditions of opening God's word and preaching about the dignity of human work on uh, this American Labor Day weekend. It all starts, like everything does, with God and God's work. From the very beginning of the scriptures, there was work to do. For us, even in the paradise of the Garden of Eden, there was work to do. Have you ever thought about this? How could there be work to do in paradise? I mean, isn't work a drag? You know what I'm saying? We were made to care about other people and other things. This is part of our design. We are made to care for people, for things, for gardens, for creatures beyond ourselves. And this caring for and tending and stewarding is a big piece and part and parcel of what it means to experience paradise. There is an inherent dignity for taking care and working. God himself worked when he created the heavens and the earth. God spoke all things into being, and when God created, there was both super variety on the one hand in God's work and incredible repetition on the other hand. Let me speak about variety for a minute. Have you ever wondered why God would have needed to make or been compelled to make hundreds of millions of galaxies instead of just the one? Right? Or why in this one galaxy called the Milky Way, why there would need to be hundreds of millions of stars and not just one? I mean, God loves variety. Why would God need to breathe into being a species of flower that only blooms on the top of the Swiss Alps for one day a year and hardly any human eye would ever even see this flower? God loves variety. Why is the ocean teeming with all forms of life? And until recently, no human being could strap on scuba equipment or a mask or oxygen to even see where the majority of life, where the majority of, uh, yeah, life on planet Earth even exists. Why is it that life exists even in the deepest, darkest basement of the ocean where we will never get? God loves variety. On the other hand, on the other hand, God, I think, also takes incredible delight in repetition. Have you ever been around a kid that wanted to hear the same bedtime story like two years in a row? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like little kids love repetition. Do it again. Tell me the story again. God incredibly, loves this kind of repetition, I believe. Um, I'm going to read for you uh, an awesome quote from English author G.K. Chesterton. The words are a little fancy, but please take the point. Because children have an abounding vitality, and because they are in spirit fierce and free, it's because of this that therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. See the point he's making? Kids love repetition, not because they're easily pleased, but because they're so energetic and vital. 
kids always say, do it again. And then the grown-up person does it again until he or she is nearly dead. That is child rearing in a nutshell. (laughs) For grown-ups are not strong enough to exult, to rejoice in this monotony. Oh, now that's quite something. That it's the beautiful part of a kid's life and energy that loves this kind of repetition. He goes on. But perhaps... Perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that every morning God says, do it again, do it again, to the sun, and every evening, do it again, to the moon. It may not be an automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every single daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that God has the eternal appetite of infancy, but we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we are. Do you catch his point? Maybe kids in their appetite for repetition and their delight in the same thing over and over again teach us who are old and tired so easily bored, what the heart of God is like. God loves infinite variety when he works, and he loves infinite repetition. Jesus himself, when he was a man, is described in the Bible as a craftsman, often translated as a carpenter, possibly as a mason or a stone worker. Either way, Jesus knew the simple repetition of working with his hands, nail after nail, board after board, stone on top of stone on top of stone. God was not too good to work as a day laborer. There is no job that is beneath us if we are doing it with our eyes on God. If you are a landscaper, if you wash dishes, we have a dishwasher in our family right now. I mean, at at our house, but one of our kids is a dishwasher. (laughs) It's good. It is good to work with your hands. Jesus sanctified this part of life. Jesus himself, when he was a child, in the story that we saw portrayed in front of us, also demonstrated that using your mental and spiritual energies is a blessed thing. During a Passover week, all those almost 2,000 years ago, when he was just 12, Jesus' family had gone up to the festival according to their custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. When it was festival time, the young Jesus could think of nothing better than capping off this spiritual celebration slash family vacation with some bonus fun. Is how I like to think of this. 12-year-old Jesus was out to have some bonus fun, and what seemed like play and fun to him was to join the teachers of the law in the temple courts to have some theological conversations and debates about the scripture. 
Now, I was, I've been to seminary for four years. I wouldn't say that was like the most playful, fun time of my life. But to 12-year-old Jesus, this was exactly his idea of a good time. This was full-time work. These theological talks of the rabbis, these discussions of the scriptures for the Pharisees and the scribes, full-time work for them. But for 12-year-old Jesus, it was not only serious work, but play. And by the end of those conversations, the grown-ups were asking Jesus for his response and for his answers. Did you notice in the portrayal that we saw how serious and angry and grumpy the grown-ups were? And how Jesus, even after Mary grabbed him repeatedly by the ear, was still smiling. Like, this was very intentional, the contrast in the story of the grumpy, serious grown-ups and the serious... God person, boy Jesus. There is something for us here. I humbly suggest that our best work, our most creative and holy work, has a strong element of play to it. This is where we grown-ups can especially learn from kids. Right? Have you ever seen a two-year-old playing trains? How much fun and how serious they can be at the same time fitting those pieces of tracks together and then running their engine down the tracks. It's like there is no line between work and play. It is just all of one piece. We grown-ups, sometimes we inaccurately kind of covet after or long for careers where there might be more play involved. Like, wouldn't it be great to play baseball for a living? To play soccer for a living. I mean, going to work every day just be one nonstop game. Of course not. I mean, have you ever seen professional baseball players? They get grumpy all the time. And they're playing a game for a living. I mean, seriously, if you play in a rec softball league, probably you're having more fun going out on Thursday night and playing six, six innings than the average Chicago Cub is having on any given day. As someone who plays the piano, literally hundreds of people have said to me in my lifetime, oh, I wish I could play. Like, everybody wishes they could play music because it's playing, right? The, The folks are in the dramatic arts. How awesome would it be to have your work be to put on a play? Very rarely will you get someone to say, I'm going to go play accountant today. I'm going to go play computer programming for nine hours today. There's a little piece of our hearts for many of us that may long for these careers where there's a greater element of play. But we do so inaccurately. We grown-ups have the capacity to make work and drudgery out of anything. You hear me on this? That's a humbling thought. We can make work and drudgery out of anything. The way we use words often shines a light or betrays our attitudes about this. In English, sometimes we'll say, I have to go to the store, right? Sometimes in English, we will say, oh, I get to go to the store. And there is a world of difference between those two phrases. Whenever we use the phrase have to, we mean we are doing a chore, We're doing the bad kind of work. Whenever we say, I get to, we're saying, 
Hmm, I get to play at this. There's an open door. When we say have to, it is the world of obligation. Ugh. When we say get to, it is the world of fun and enjoyment and delight. You still with me? All right. Not accusing anyone in particular, but I have heard people in the church say all of the following. Check it out. I have to play golf at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Has anyone ever said something like that to you? I confess there's a strong urge in me that makes me want to slap someone who says that to me. I never have. I'm a very nice Christian. I have heard people say, "Ah, I have to go to Mexico on vacation next week with my entire extended family. Mm. Often, I have to go to school. I have to go to church. Ironically, I have to go to play practice after school. I have to uh, go to play. I heard someone say this this week. I have to serve on a grand jury every Tuesday for the next 14 weeks. That was me. I am talking to myself. (laughs) This is my own spiritual battle right now. When we say have to, when we put activity and work in the category of obligation, it makes us grumble and complain. I have to. Now, there's room for grief and lamentation. I'm not talking about that. God doesn't want a whole congregation of grumblers. When we say, I get to, it puts us in the world of invitation and opportunity, and that puts us in the kingdom of thanks and gratitude. I get to go to church this morning. So we're going to take a special offering for the next month for folks in Houston. Is this something that we have to do? Like there's people who are hurting. We have to help. Kind of. When we see things that are wrong with the world and we have resources to help, we get to help. Like we get to do something. For the last two weeks, uh, Dr. Sam Hamster has uh, preached and painted a picture about this three-dimensional Christian life. And if you come away from these messages, he'll be back next week thinking, oh man, this like reaching up to God and being in the church and reaching out in service, uh, I, gotta, I have to do more of that. That would be exactly the wrong takeaway. Then it's just like dumping extra cinder blocks into the wheelbarrow of your life. By God's grace, we'll all hear his messages like, in terms of having a prayer life and experiencing God in the Bible, like, I get to have a relationship with God. You feel the difference? Instead of, oh man, I really, I really should be part of a small group. I, I have to get started on that. I should take, should take this church community thing a little more serious. Like, Like, this community is here. You get to be part of it. And there's no one perfect way to do it. Like, it's up to you and the Holy Spirit to discern a way that will bring you great delight and joy. Like, you get to be involved. And when it comes to doing something, you can be like, oh, 
I got to help out with those middle school boys again on Wednesday night. Or, like, oh my goodness, even though I'm not the parent of all these young guys, I get to make a little bit of difference in their journey of growing up to become a man. I am suspicious that all of us sitting in this room today, me included, violate this spiritual posture issue every single week. So I'm humbly encouraging you, asking you to like, hold yourself to the standard. Watch your language. Watch the words that come out of your mouth. Watch the way you express yourself to the family. Watch your thoughts. And are you saying and thinking, oh, I have to, I have to, I have to. Or is there enough of God's playful spirit in you to say, hmm, this morning, I get to. Later today, I get to. This week, I get to. God himself. Do you think God the Father, in the joy of the Holy Trinity, was like in paradise and was like, you know what? I really should make some stuff. I have to, I guess I have to make a universe. Let there be light. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. It's ridiculous. God, out of pure love and generosity, spoke every atom into being, has given us the breath of life, not because he had to, but he's like, you know what? I get to make a universe. I get to make people to share my love. After we messed the whole project up with sin, do you think Jesus was up with the Holy Trinity and was like, oh, now I have to go to earth. Now I have to save all these people. I mean, what Jesus did is the hardest thing any being, any human being, like has ever done. I mean, God became man. But I like to think that Jesus communicated to the rest of the Holy Trinity and is still whispering to the universe, I get to do this for you. Do you think the Holy Spirit, when Jesus promised the presence of the Holy Spirit to the community of the church and the individual believer on Pentecost, do you think the Holy Spirit is like, oh man, now I have to take up resident inside of all of these people? Is that how the Holy Spirit is with us? I think the Holy Spirit is like, you know what? I can't think of anything I would rather do than share the life of God with people who obviously need it. There's an awesome scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, that speaks to this, which is why I bring this all up. The New Testament says, so let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I know lots of people think running is a drag. In this case, if you can kind of think of running as an energetic and playful activity, that helps. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And then this incredible line, for the joy set before him, the joy 
He endured the cross and scorned its shame and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did the most brutal, painful, sacrificial thing ever. And yet, he could see the divine joy of it. I believe every step of the way. There is a great old Christmas song from medieval days. Uh, I think one time I've heard our choir sing it here on a Christmas service. Uh, Now, this song is like 700 years old. And mind you, medieval times, these are folks who, like, had a hard knocks, get your fingernails dirty existence that we can't quite imagine. So if anybody would think life is just a trudge, like, it would be English peasants of 700 years ago. But that community, with their eyes on Christ, came up this, with this song, as a way of expressing what it would be like for Jesus to come from heaven and earth and be born as a baby. Check out these words. This is Jesus speaking. Tomorrow shall be my dancing day. I would, my true love, did so chance to see the legend of my play to call my true love to my dance. Sing, oh, my love. Oh, my love, my love, my love. This have I done for my true love. That takes a lot of imagination if all you do is dig up cabbages every day. But this is the work of God in our midst. Work and play, and discipline, and pleasure, all wrapped into one. Friends, I feel like every year I get older, the world is becoming a more serious, fun-free kind of place. I feel like I can hardly watch the news these days without somebody telling me that I have to be angry about something, or I have to be upset about something, or I have to feel a certain way, or I have to do this in response to that. Notice that was all have to, have to, have to. That is the world of obligation and no fun, and we are running as a culture headlong into less fun. That is not God's view of your life or God's view of the world. There are hard things all of us have to bear, no doubt. I'm not shortchanging that. But on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, God is holding in front of you something that if you can see it with his eyes, even with just a glimmer, it is something that you get to do. Even if it's that you get to share a short, kind word with somebody who just has mistreated you, you get to do that. If it's returning good for evil, you get to do that if it's sticking up for somebody who's just been kicked, you get to do that. If it's naming something that is actually profoundly unjust, you get to do that. On this Labor Day, God is inviting us indeed to work, but with some serious joy and playfulness in it to see our lives as one I get to after another. This is how God sees the world, and we 
bear his image. We get to bear his image. So, in the coming days, let us get to work like he does. Will you pray with me? Oh God, the most important work has already been done by you. You have made everything. You have redeemed everything. Teach those of us, especially those of us that are a little older, to play and work like you do and to be able to hear the invitation of I get to and what we set our hands to. In Jesus' name, amen.